Shit your pants if you want to Let the ground flow from behind Cause if I shit my pants and you don't shit your pants Then you're no friend of mine So shit your pants where you want to Anywhere you feel is fine And we can say that it's normal and that you smell bad Leave our sense for you to find We'll shit our pants We can go when we want to, the pants are new and so divine And we can shit so complete from our butts to our feet And surprise them with our straining cry So shit our pants if we want to, if we don't nobody will And they will know that we're rude and totally removed And they'll know I'm an imbecile Now shit your pants, shit your pants, everything's out of control Shit your pants, shit your pants, we're doing it from hole to hole Shit your pants Shit your pants, everyone look at the pants Shit your pants, shit your pants Everyone should take the chance And shit your pants Oh well, shit your pants Ah yes, shit your pants It is time for the SLS Cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome once again to episode 87 of the SLS Cast. The episode where I say welcome once again to an episode we haven't had yet. That's fucking crazy! But in other words, it is the Wayne Gretzky episode of the SLS cast. Because Wayne Gretzky scored a league-high 87 goals with the Edmonton Oilers in the 1983-84 NHL season. And with that little bit of confusingness being dictated to you, I, of course, am Matt. Are you a baseball fan? We've never really talked about sports, you and I. (laughs) Um, I am a casual observer of the sport of baseball. I, I respect the sport as it's one of those few sports that has no time limit. So I think it's really kind of cool that, especially when you get those ultimate inning games or what have you. Um, I, I know that it is the American sport and as you know, my patriotic heart flows and everything. I'm all about that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. My patriot. I find, for me, baseball is exceptionally boring on television. I thoroughly enjoy going to a game, but I do not like watching it on TV. And so, I was a I was, however, a total Seattle scrub all the way. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. I was a Sonic scrub back in the day, and I was a Mariners scrub back in the day. I hated the Sea Chickens. I still don't particularly care for them, but hey, you know, they did win the Super Bowl or whatever. And they do have the loudest stadium in in all in all the land, apparently. The land of America, the, the loudest the land screaming of Safeco. Cans. Yeah, I have, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but... Um, I mean, to tell you how old it was for me, I used to watch them in the Kingdom. I used to watch the Mariners play in the Kingdom, uh, which no longer exists. And I used to watch uh, the the Sonics play in the Key Arena. And 
that's been completely gutted, changed out. I think I don't even think it's called Kirina anymore. And then the Sonics are now in, are now the Thunder, I think, in Oklahoma City. So, well, there goes your childhood right there. <laughs> your, yeah. your childhood has gone to shit. There goes all your favorite memories of sports, period. Exactly. They're all gone. They're all gone. So, long story short, too late. I know. Um, I I think that baseball is cool. I have a respect for the game. But with no local team to support, uh, and therefore no real games to go and see, I just kind of let it go to the wayside. What about you, sir? Yeah, I love soccer. I enjoy watching soccer. I got into the, the World Series of Soccer. I mean, world Kickball? World Cup. Pinball? Kickball? Oh, kickball. Kickball's kickball? fun. Like, they had that whole thing with the World Cup of Kickball. Really? This last month of June. It's like for, like, geriatrics, or is it... I don't like, know. We train for like years. Six, for like, four billion people watch it or something. I don't know. Really? You, you, I think, referred to it mistakenly as soccer or something, but I think it's called kickball. Or kickball. Quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> or football de americano. How we exactly. white people say it. <laughs> exactly. Football. Yes. Football. football de americano. However, here's an interesting little factoid about soccer or football or football, depending on where you live. We get a lot of flack for calling worldwide football soccer. The thing is, is that when soccer was invented, soccer was the original name because it was an abbreviation of the club system that was played back then. And you were a soccer fan then. And so it was known as soccer and then perpetuated to the Americas as soccer. Just never really took off over here. And then, of course, with the advent of American football, it has now fallen to the wayside unless you're like an eight-year-old playing in a you-can't-lose league. Yep, that's where I was. FFPS, fun, fair, positive soccer, baby. (laughs) I didn't leave that field crying once. It was fantastic. (laughs) It was horrible. I hated it. (laughs) So... Yeah, so I mean, for, for so for whatever it's worth, you can get mad at us for calling it soccer, but it was called soccer before it was called football. So, in your face, people. And that's what happens when you talk to history people about anything. Yeah, you really can't have fun, fair, positive football. Because, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the, the whole basis of football, NFL football, is that it's not fair, and it's not positive... <laughs> <laughs> and it's football, fun, fair, positive pigskin. That's what we're gonna we're gonna play. But uh, there you go. Uh, well, yeah. So now that we have definitely run through the sports gamut, what was your week like, sir? Uh, it was it was good. It was it was relaxing. Did a little bit of this, a little bit of that. However, I did want to talk about something last episode, and we went to a cemetery. It's the Hollywood Forever Cemetery to watch a movie. I'm sorry, I literally thought you said cinematary. And I'm like, is this like a graveyard where you watch movies? And then you said you went there to watch a movie. And I'm like, nice. But it's kind of weird. I mean, you think that, okay, well, it's like, it's the, an old cemetery. I mean, Marilyn Monroe is buried there. Uh, Frank Sinatra, I think, is... I mean, a ton of famous... Everybody from silent movie stars to 
just old rich people that wanted to be buried with their families in this cemetery. You have mausoleums in here. It's like the Hollywood of some... It's crazy. And the last thing I would ever expect to watch a movie, especially we went and saw Empire Records there, I would not expect to see that at a cemetery, let alone... If I was buried in this cemetery, I don't know if I would be too happy if there were, like, drunk people walking around to go see, watch, like, Purple Rain or something. But then again, I'm, I'm a movie guy, so I might not... Purple Rain! Yeah, they're going to be showing what? Purple Sorry. Rain there soon, and they're going to they're doing The <laughs> Outsiders, and nothing zombie-related. They're going to be showing Neverending Story there in a couple weeks. So, I mean, it's kind of a cool uh, a cool thing, and you get to bring booze in. They, they you know, they kind of frown upon spirits, they say liquor, but you know people bring pot. <laughs> so. Nice pun there. Yes, yes. They frown and, on spirits. Nice. And so, and like, I was expecting yeah. they were going to erect one, like a blow-up screen. No, they did not do that. They have this section of the wall of a wall that they that they that they blast the the movie on, and it's not just a wall. It's part of the wall that is also attached to. What are those big walls where people are, like, buried into the wall? Yeah, like a vault. But I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah you, you bury them. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you, like, you. that's how you bury an urn is in, like, a little, I don't know, like a concrete cabinet? I don't, I don't know. Or possibly, is there, like, a dolly in there where people just, like, their, their corpses get put into a little dolly and it just kind of, like hangs out in this thing. I don't know. But you're sitting there and you're watching this, and the movie is loud, and there is bass. You know, the sound is fantastic. And there are a ton of people at this movie. And I kind of wonder, it's like, there are bodies all over the place. You would think maybe all the rumbling would shake it around a bit. I don't know. I, I, it was just These are the things that were going through my mind while watching a movie like Empire Records. And then what I thought was kind of interesting is since in Los Angeles they kind of frowned upon, you know, smoking cigarettes, not smoking the other stuff, I assure you that, but they did have a smoking section. However, the smoking section was the grimmest part of the entire cemetery movie experience because that smoking section was surrounded by these mausoleum like above ground caskets that made this little like semicircle around where everybody was sitting there smoking. What was great is that everybody that was smoking cigarettes in there had no idea what they were standing in the middle of. And it was brilliant. I thought a nice little, little joke on, on, on their parts. Nice. And I did look it up. It's called, it is called a wall fault. Oh really? When you're buried in the wall, it is a literal wall of death, (laughs) literally a wall of death. It was a huge wall, too. Right on. Yeah. Indeed. So I understand you have some news of the weird, right? I do. I do. Um, I, I'm just, it's just going to be, well, yeah, it's just going to be brief because you brought yours up first, and I think yours might be more entertaining. Uh, it's this hotel. It's inspired by Fifty Shades of Grey. You know, the movie that's about BDSM, bondage, discipline, dominance, submission, sadism, and... Uh, Massage Bondage, them. discipline, sadism, masochism. Yeah, masochism. BDSM. Yeah. Well, you were right on that. I, I have to read that sort of thing. Is there, is there like a secret? My interests are wide and varied, sir. Yeah. 
God, if I'm ever like... That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> remember at your house and a gimp mask falls... Uh, actually, that reminds me of something. I saw a picture that was posted online of a gimp mask that is a... That, that it's, it's the, where the mouth is, it's a giant grin with these teeth showing. It is disgusting. But yeah, okay, so yeah, this is from a HollywoodReporter.com article, and this is just a little blurb about it. It says that the Roissy Castle, R-O-I-S-S-Y, features 20 rooms and four dungeons where guests can take part in a BDSM activities. It says, like, the plans for a Fifty Shades of Grey-inspired erotic hotel are on hold in Spain after town officials said that it is located too close to a chapel. Too close to a chapel. Well, you're just, <laughs> if you think you're hearing screams from Satan himself, no, you're just hearing screams coming from the dungeon of the bondage hotel next door. The bondage castle. This is Castle Bondage. Welcome. Choose your dungeon. Well, my my wonderful news of the weird, also about a hotel, <laughs> for whatever it's worth, comes to us from page6.com, courtesy of Margaret Mara Siegler. Hotel finds $500 for every bad review posted online. A hotel in Tony, uh, I guess, in Tiny Hudson, New York, I think is what it's supposed to say, uh, has found a novel way to keep negative reviews off Yelp and other sites. Find any grousing guests. The Union Street Guest House near Catskills Estates, built by the Van- Vanderbilts and Rockefellers, charges couples who book weddings at the venue $500 for every bad review posted online by their guests. Quote, please know that despite the fact that wedding couples love Hudson and our inn, your friends and families may not. If you have booked the inn for a wedding or other type of event and given us deposit of any kind, there will be a $500 fine that will be deducted from your deposit for every negative review placed on any internet site by anyone in your party. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> so can the can the couple make a or write a negative review or is it does it apply to them as well? I mean they're the ones Yes, it applies to everybody. Now it also states that if you take down the nasty review that you'll get your money back. Um now this, they were the the, the uh, Miss Siegler here was not able to get the hotel to respond to a request for comment, but it turns out that they were desperately trying to do some damage to, damage control. Less than uh, twenty four hours later, basically their 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 side of this is that this was a response to someone who was giving them such an immensely hard time, and so they put that clause in. And then they forgot to take it out for however many years it's been up there. And now it's gone. But they've never charged anybody that fine or anything of that nature. And I think what really did it were the articles, were were the five-star reviews from people who were doing, um, who were hosting swingers parties there. And like Hitler was one of the people 
who had posted a five star review. So basically, they were just saying <laughs> Hitler is on these Yelp. Horrendous, yeah. <laughs> oh, they, they have put, uh, these horrendous reviews, but under the guise of positive words and verbiage and five star ratings. And yeah, but I think the damage is done. I thought, however, that was very funny. Anyway, would you like to get to the real news now that we're you know eight minutes behind? Yes, we must. <laughs> All right, folks. Here we go. It is. The news! Ah, uh, yes. So, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh, you can go first. All right. I'm going to go with an easy one here. From Deadline.com, courtesy of Anita Bush... Box office final, Guardians of the Galaxy, $94.3 million. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Disney, Marvel's intergalactic juggernaut, Guardians of the Galaxy, ended up the weekend with $94.3 million, becoming one of the highest openers of 2014 and busting August records. All eyes, of course, are on next weekend. Guardian of the Galaxies will hold on to all of its IMAX screens next weekend as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles into the storm and the 100-foot journey and step up all in, go wide. I really don't think they have the Guardians has anything to worry about with any of those movies, especially Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And that is all. Well, in speaking of superhero movies... It turns out every single Marvel superhero movie is the best Marvel superhero movie ever made. And there is proof. Definitely, there is most definite proof. From ScreenCrush.com, from an article entitled The Greatest Superhero Movie Ever, written by Mike Ryan. And they have a, a series of steals, of steals, a series of stills, as well as this mashup of various sections of different superhero and especially Marvel trailers, where a lot of them have a particular commonality, and that would be calling itself the best superhero movie of all time, or the most epic superhero movie of all time, or the best Iron Man yet. You know, just stuff like that. And it kind of hits you a little bit. You really don't know how much the media, not only the media, but advertiser, or how advertisements for these movies are really trying to manipulate you to go and see this movie. And sometimes you have to watch one of these mashups. Or maybe you even notice whenever you do watch the trailers for these movies. I know I sure do, and I'm sure Matt, you do too as well. It's pretty fucking ridiculous. And... It's kind of funny, you know, I find this really funny that's other, that luckily other people do notice this, but also it doesn't really make any difference whatsoever. People will still go and see this movie or see these movies. You know, it doesn't matter how much the advertisements lead you on to think that you're about to see something amazing. It's like Transformers. We all saw something about Transformers where in the promotion material it said that this was the best Transformers movie yet, you know? Or I remember even whenever the uh, Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland came out. Matt, I know you liked that one. I didn't... I hated the movie. 
to this day, I remember in the promotional, in the trailer for Alice in Wonderland, they were comparing it to The Wizard of Oz, saying that Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland is this generation's Wizard of Oz. And currently, right now, you hear nobody talking about Alice in Wonderland. So it's it's kind of crazy putting all this stuff into perspective and take or, or thinking about how much schlock the media and advertisers can generate. And this kind of leads into something else I wanted to mention real quick. And then I would love to hear if, if you, Matt, have any questions or comments or criticisms about any of this. Um, Megan Fox, who plays April O'Neil in the upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, or by the time you listen to this episode, it might, it might have actually already come out. Who knows? She plays April O'Neil, and she had this to say about diehard fans of the Ninja Turtles, you know, people who have a special place in their hearts for either the comic books, the cartoons, or the action figures. I mean, a lot of people are not anticipating this movie, but this is what she has to say to the, to the fanboys, the, the real fanboys. Quote, Let me tell you something about those people. How much money did Transformers 4 make? Exactly. Those people can complain. They all go to the theater. They're gonna love it. And if they don't love it, they can fuck off. And that's the end of that. End all quotes. I don't have anything to add to the first story there. I will, however, say, man, does Megan Fox know how to dig a fucking ditch. Doesn't she? I mean, she just knows how to get into that trench, fucking go and just not stop, ever. This is a girl who's got, at best, five years of a career left. At best. That's 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 like everything going well and her looks hold up pr- perfectly. Because she cannot act at all. At all. And she's telling people to fuck off? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, and it kind of ties in with what Michael Bay said uh, when MTV asked him about negativity towards uh, the, the latest Transformers movie, and he told MTV that, quote, They love to hate, and I don't care. Let them hate. They're still going to see the movie. I think it's good to get a little tension. Very good. I used to get bothered by it, but I think it's good to get the dialogue going. It makes me think, and it keeps me on my toes. So it's good. End quotes. Well, seeing how much we love Transformers Age of Extinction, I think we both will be <laughs> taking what Michael Bay has to say with a grain of salt. Yes, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to be dodging quite the bullet by not seeing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Fairly certain that we're going to be okay, thanks to that decision. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, next up for me is a real quick blurb from HollywoodReporter.com. Turns out that Bill Murray, to play Baloo in Disney's The Jungle Book, and again, this is, uh, all right, not again, this is just being brought to us courtesy of Aaron Couch. The actor joins a voice cast that includes Christopher Walken, Ben Kingsley, Lupita Nyong'o, and Idris Elba. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Murray is headed to the Disney's Jungle Book, where he will voice the bear Baloo. Look for the 
bare necessities. The film recently cast Christopher Walken as King Louis and Breaking Bad alum Giancarlo Esposito as Akela, the leader of a wolf pack. Other cast members include Ben Kingsley, the Black Panther Bagheera, Lupita Nyong'o, the mother wolf Raksha, Idris Elba, the villainous tiger Shere Khan, and Scarlett Johansson, the Python Ka. It looks like they've got a young uh, 10-year-old newcomer by the name of Neil Sethi, who's going to star as Mowgli, and John Favreau is directing, in case you didn't already know. And the film is scheduled to hit theaters October 9th, 2015. Bladow. I don't know why, but I just pictured Bill Murray not playing the voice of a, of a bear, but like dressed up as a bear. And like Scarlett Johansson dressed up as a boa constrictor. I don't know. I could I could see them though as not even in the actual Shere Khan outfit, but Idris Elba, Elba literally wearing like a Tigger suit, but with the face cut out. <laughs> well, that it's his face, but it's a Tigger suit. Anyway, yep. So what else you got there, sir? From the HollywoodReporter.com, lawsuit over Disney's Frozen trailer heats up. After Judge Rejects Dismissal. This is written by Eric Gardner. I talked about this, um, I guess it was, uh, it's been a couple months ago. Two, three, four months ago. Where there's this short film that just so happens... Uh, it, like, like, the, like, like everything that happens in the short film is exactly what happens in the trailer for Frozen. And when I say things happen exactly i mean the likeness is uncanny and apparently the judge thought so as well because he rejected disney's dismissal and trying to get this whole thing you know swept underneath the rug and matt i think i had you watch it and you agreed uh you agreed with me as well but this is what the article has to say they say that Kelly Wilson, the creator of a short 2D computer animated film entitled The Snowman, has survived the first round in a copyright lawsuit against the Walt Disney Company over its teaser trailer to the blockbuster film Frozen. In a ruling on Disney's motion to dismiss, California federal judge Vince Chabarbara writes, The sequence of events in both works from start to finish is too parallel to conclude that no reasonable juror could find the works substantially similar. Wilson's lawsuit was filed this past March. Her animated short featured an average Joe snowman who must battle to save his carrot nose. Not the plot of Frozen, but as the lawsuit pointed out, the Frozen trailer wasn't very representative of the full-length film either. And I must add that the short film obviously came out before Frozen, as well as the, the trailers for Frozen. Continuing, Judge Chalabribara notes how both the snowman and the Frozen trailer contain the following sequence of events. 1. A snowman loses his carrot nose. 2. The nose slides out in the middle of a frozen pond. 3. The snowman is on one side of the pond, and an animal who... Covets the nose is on the other. 4. The characters engage in a contest to get the nose first. 5. The screen pans back and forth from the snowman to the animal set to music as they endeavor to get to the nose. 6. The contest continues when the snowman and the animal arrive at the nose at the same time. 7. 
The animal ends up with the nose, leaving the snowman and the viewer to wonder if the snowman's nose will become food for the animal. And eight, in the end, the animal returns the nose to the snowman. Such detail means a reasonable jury can find the sequence to rise above a generic idea into artistic expression. End all quotes. And last but not least from me, coming to us from movies.msn.com, courtesy of Jeff Snyder at the Wrap, a female Ghostbusters? Bridesmaids, Paul Feig talks, reboot with Sony. Alright, here it comes, ladies and gentlemen. After years of struggling to develop Ghostbusters 3, Sony Pictures is entertaining the idea of a female-driven reboot of the original cult hit that would be written, directed, and produced by Bridesmaids filmmaker Paul Feig. Multiple individuals familiar with the situation have told the rap. While Sony was believed to be happy with the last draft of Ghostbusters 3, which was written by Eaton Cohen of Tropic Thunder fame, the studio has had second thoughts and reversed course, sparking DeFig's empowered take and discussing his rewriting the project from scratch, according to insiders. It is unclear what creative connection, if any, the new Ghostbusters movie would have to the first two films, but it is not expected to have the number three in the title. Article goes on to say that they're not sure where... Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman will be. They think that they'll stay involved in the project, given that they're, you know, because how closely tied to it they've been all this time. But they don't know um, where they're going to land on, maybe like for Dan Aykroyd appearing in it, even as a cameo or anything like that. Um, just one more in the whole, you know, give and take of will there, you know, will they, won't they make another Ghostbusters? I don't know. But what do you think, Tim? Do you think that this new twist, having a female Ghostbusters and or having it helmed by Paul Feig is a good idea, bad idea? Man, I wish you didn't ask my opinion. <laughs> because... Uh, if I wouldn't have asked if I didn't want it, because <laughs> like it, if I answer it truthfully, to no, you should lie to us. You think of Ghostbusters, and if there were already female Ghostbusters in the original movies, then I could then if they were going to continue a story based off that, I can maybe I can maybe get on be on board with it. But if they're wanting to reboot the series, but just do it with women, just to do it, I'm not down with it. You know, it's like, uh, it's it's like when you look at some of these like copycat movies. You know, it's like people they make a movie, and then they want to redo it, but do it with all women or do it with all guys, just so they can broaden broaden the uh, the audience, I guess. You know, it's it's a, it's a money thing. You know, it's that that's all. That's kind of what it is. And it's like, yes, there are a lot of female Ghostbusters fans. Well, okay, so then, I, I think I think I get what you're saying. You don't want them to change gender, just simply for the sake of changing gender. You want there to be a legitimate reason for. Um, you would like a transition of sorts to occur versus just a simple reboot. And change it up just for the sake of changing it. Exactly, up. and it's like you look at the Hangover uh, the, in, in the movie Bridesmaids. I think the reason why the movie Bridesmaids was so was as much as a success as it was 
because I think when people when people were going into watching Bridesmaids, they were just they were thinking it was going to be basically a female version of The Hangover. Though I didn't care for Bridesmaids. I will say that I liked how it wasn't just a female version of The Hangover. It was its own movie. It was its own story. You know, it was, it was, there was more to it than women, you know, just getting effed up and partying and doing this and doing that, you know, whatever. And I don't know if they can't, they can't do that. Because this is a movie where, where, where we, where people have grown up watching and loving it. There is a reason why we have fond memories. Men and women alike have fond memories of Ghostbusters. You know, it's not like Police Academy. It's not like like Freddy Krueger or, or, or a slasher film from the 70s or 80s, which those can easily be updated and the cast can be, are, are expendable. You know, you can switch a cast around all you want gender-wise. But then you look at stuff like Gone with the Wind. You can't remake Gone with the Men Wind, and though Gone with the Wind and Ghostbusters or The Wizard of Oz, all those movies are so are so different. Yes, and I you can't necessarily put Ghostbusters in the same caliber of uh, or level as uh, as uh, as like Wizard of Oz. But in the same way, you kind of can. You know where like where, where your heart is. It's like yes, Gone with the Wind, Wizard of Oz are fantastic films. But people, I've heard people say this, but they have such a soft spot, you know, a special compartment within their within their body, reserved only for Ghostbusters. I think for me, the key here is not the premise, but the execution. For me, I think that I, I have not seen Bridesmaids, so I will only. I will not speak out of ignorance. I will simply go off of my love for the heat, which I know you did not like. But, I mean, that was definitely one that we were divided on. You you hated it. I, I really loved it. But I liked what Paul Feig has done, and I think I would probably enjoy Bridesmaids, more than likely. And therefore, knowing what Paul Feig is capable of doing... And the money that he has been able to bring to the table in terms of box office receipts based on female-driven films, comedies or not, I think that it's not the idea of switching genders for the sake of switching genders. I'm I'm okay with it only because it's Paul Feig. For me, I could I, I would probably have the exact same reservation as you. If it weren't for my faith in Paul Feig, who has already demonstrated his ability to put together ensemble comedies and ensemble uh, casts, and even or paired up in the term, in, uh, when referring to the Heat, and making it successful, so that's where my excitement comes from. I would be glad to see it, provided that it's Paul Feig. Um, if it wasn't him, then yes, I would be in. I would have the same reservation as you in terms of switching genders just for the sake of switching genders. But I still totally get the idea. If it wasn't Paul Feig, I don't know who else would be able to do something in that term, in terms of a gender switch like that. You wouldn't want there to be a feat like a, an Indiana Jones movie. You know, it being Indiana Jones, but it being a female version of it 
for the sake of it being a female Indiana Jones. It's like, sure. It's like they were talking about how. Uh, I mean, it was never official, but it was just people are you know these entertainment writers, whatever, talking about how uh, Han Solo. Like people have heard that there was going to be a female Han Solo, and it's like Han Solo is Han Solo. Why do we need? A female Han Solo. It's not Hana Solo. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like it's like with Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones. Now, if you want to make like Tomb Raider, you know, Tomb Raider people, uh, you know, were hoping that Tomb Raider was going to be like the next Indiana Jones with Angelina with Angelina Jolie. Now, if those movies were better, I you know that's great. You know, it's it's a fun adventure you know movie with action and practical effects, and that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's just sure for the sure. sake where, yeah. of it, you know, of, of it gender swapping. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Cool. Well, then that's that's the closing of my news. There, I have nothing else. I just I just have one little blurb. It's basically the continuation of of women of ladies taking over movies. Not I, I don't mean taking over movies, but um, more roles for women. Which I agree. Up until the past couple years, uh, it's something that has been lacking in cinema. Because we can't have Meryl Streep freaking be in every goddamn movie. Though it's funny, she's in at least I think two pretty decent movies a year. It seems like at least lately. Um, however, superhero movies, Marvel is looking to bring women more in the forefront. Uh, what they say here in uh, this Screen Crush article, they say that as uh, Deadline, as reported by Deadline. Sony has plans to feature a female-led Spider-Man spin-off movie focusing on one of the comic book's many female characters. All we know for sure is that Lisa Joy Nolan is writing the script. Producers Avi Arad and Matt Tolmak are on board, and the film is eyeing a 2017 release date. But which character will be highlighted remains to be seen. And they also go on to say that based on what we saw in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, it seems likely that Black Cat, the Marvel superhero Black Cat, will get her chance for a solo movie since actress Felicity Jones portrayed Felicia Hardy, Black Cat's alter ego. And then finally, the new Expendables movie is coming out soon, and of course, Sylvester Stallone wants to make a series of films entitled The Expendables. That's right, the Expendables. And these movies will not feature the big wig classic action stars of the 80s and early 90s, early to mid 90s, like Stallone himself, Bruce Willis, uh, Jason Statham for the early 2000s, Wesley Snipes, all these guys. But instead, he's trying to court Sigourney Weaver. To, to lead the Expendables, because Sigourney Weaver is the macho woman from Alien. You know, she's Ripley, and, you know, her and uh, Michelle Rodriguez from more modern movies. You know, she would be considered a an action, a really good action a leading woman, you know, or a supporting woman or whatever. So I'm sure even she would be uh, featured in these Expendables flicks, Expendables flicks. I don't know. I feel like we're just taking on a different tack from the discussion we just closed. <laughs> are we doing an action movie with action chicks just for the sake of action chicks? Or are we doing an action movie with action chicks that's in the same vein as the action movies with the action guys? Um, 
And in this particular instance, I think that this one is really not a good idea. Because while these are very strong women playing playing strong women in roles that required them to be action uh, to dominate action as it were i don't think that these women have and i don't mean the actresses but i i think that the types of characters that they have that they have played would not have aged well. I don't think that they would be able to to bring the same grit and the same core toughness to these characters, with exception of Michelle Rodriguez, as they did back when they made their roles famous. Could they be femme fatales? Could they be the ones being like the head of the organization that is evil and can be like badass in a different way absolutely but i just don't see them being able to pull off characters that would be able to be tangible to audiences today is that is that fair i don't i mean i'm trying to be as not i don't know i just i feel yeah for me i don't think it would work as well we're looking forward to your emails, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice having female listeners while we had them. All right. Uh, I guess that's going to close off the news and bring us to Copycat Throwdown. It's, it's the, the copy copy cat cat throwdown throwdown that's right it's the copycat throwdown well that's right it's the copycat throwdown stop it stop it no no seriously stop it oh right like stop repeating stop repeating right oh okay i'm gonna kick your ass throwdown and the copycat throwdown for this week is going to be Observe and Report versus Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Hey. Hey. hey! I'm here with Ronnie Barnhart, one of the security guards here at the mall, no, who can cut. hardly... Uh, ma'am, I'm, I'm the head of mall security. You should do that again and say it right. It was horrible! I'm Detective Harrison, Conway Police. We're going to catch the guy that did this. Ah. What? It's clear that this pervert plans on coming back here and murdering Brandy. Oh my god! Is that gonna happen? It's gonna happen. No, it's not gonna happen. You go Brandy, you're the only thing in this mall worth protecting. Brandy, do you have a boyfriend in your life? <gasps> Shots! Yeah! That burns so good. <laughs> oh my god, again. You are so gorgeous. Part of me thinks that this disgusting pervert is the best thing that ever happened to me. This is my chance to be great. What have the police ever really done? Nothing good. I'm in charge of this. Dennis, you're my second in command. Humans, you guys are my infantry. When he dies, God gave me another one. Okay, awesome. Okay. Swear on my soul, I'm gonna catch this guy. ¿Qué pasa, Ramon? Quiere hablar conmigo, pero no lo entiendo, no sé en inglés. See. Scum did it. Well, what'd he say? I don't know. I don't speak Spanish. It's the law that puts me down. Ben, do you think it was my fault the dad left? Yeah. Definitely. 
I believe every man has a path laid out before him. This has been a magical evening. My path is a righteous one. I think I need a mint or something. I accept you. I've been chosen to be the protector. Please don't tase me, man. The world has no use for another scared man. Right now, the world needs a hero. No need to thank me, I'm just a guy with a gun. Alright, you must now pass the obstacle course, survive this, and you're on the front lines of keeping New Jersey safe. Meet Paul Blart. Sorry about the test, Dad. I'm gonna get him next year. I am. Here we go. Pie. It just fills the cracks of the heart. Go away, pain. He's always been dedicated. Paul Blart, mall cop. To protecting. We got a high roller. The West Orange Pavilion Mall. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to issue a citation. Can you validate this? Sir, sir, I'm warning you, sir. 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 You're a nasty old man. From Columbia Pictures. Our security's fine, but ultimately we rely on the hope that nothing ever goes down. Everybody out! Oh, There's some crazy people trying to take over the mall. Now, help is on the way. Reports are they're inside the bank. Until then. I need you to exit the building immediately. I took a sworn oath to protect this mall and all inside it. Well, Sergeant, looks like you got your eyes on the inside. There's Paul Blart. Is he crying? From Happy Madison. What are you trained to do? Nothing. Ah! Oh, that's not too bad. This January. Nobody knows this mall better than I do. Man for the job. Blart. 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 Peanut Blart and Jelly. What? 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 What's up, man? Was the last thing they expected. Who is this guy? Safety never takes a holiday. Kevin James is Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Oh, oh, oh. oh dear God. <laughs> now. Aside from the fact that these movies are about guys who are mall security and they are trying to resolve a situation that has gridlocked or deadlocked their mall and uh, to varying degrees depending on the film, these movies are definitely very, very different. One is an extremely dark dramedy that would be Observe and Report. The other is a very lighthearted family comedy. That being said, for me, there was a very clear winner here, and it was Paul Blart Mall Cop. Now, before Tim slides off his chair in a fit of rage, I would like to state that neither one of these movies are very good. <laughs> But one is just complete shit, 
And the other one is at least passable fare based on family viewing only. The one that's complete shit is Observe and Report. And here's why. It's a dark dramedy that displays itself with a bait and switch. It puts itself out there as a trailer as a completely irreverent Seth Rogen comedy. So you sit down to watch this movie, and then you realize that it's not actually a comedy at all. It is a dramedy, and it is still dark. It's black, it is black humor. But I think the reason why they did the bait and switch was because as soon as they exhausted the gags, they realized that they had nowhere else to go, so they decided to turn it on its head and bring in the drama, bring in the darkness that comes into the drama side of it. We have a guy here, this basic, this movie basically turns into a, a two-hour vehicle, basically, uh, nearly a two-hour vehicle, on bipolar disorder. And completely just white trash upbringing uh, and dysfunctional families. Except for they make it such an intrinsic part of the movie by the second half that there's no escaping it and then there's no real way to bring it back. So they try and throw in a little lighthearted ending that's completely over the top to make you laugh after they've tried to just totally rip your rip your soul out and it doesn't work and on top of that is boring and it's slow and it's not funny so and i don't think i would have found it funny five years ago when the movie came out so there's that so i did not like this movie at all then and and it also it's interesting though this one did complete crap business in the box office. Now, it came close to doubling its $18 million budget. It came in at about $27 million. Um, so in terms of money, it did okay. In terms of critical response, it's got a 51% at Rotten Tomatoes, but was not a runaway hit and definitely has its flaws. Paul Blart, on the other hand, had a $26 million budget, did... A little over 183 million in business, and yet it only has a 33% rating. So, did a little bit less in terms of the ratings, but did phenomenal success there. And the reason why is because this is a movie that also, very flimsy story, really thin on the acting but knew just exactly how much traction it had to begin with and was able to be inventive with a story that would carry it through to the end. There are a lot of funny moments in this movie, right alongside a lot of cringeworthy moments in this movie. However, the story is very cohesive and it runs together really, really well for what it is, and given that it's a family fair kind of a movie, all of the action and all of the stuff gets to be ludicrous, but again, being that's part of a family film, kind of lends itself to the material. And that's kind of what they needed to do. I think it could have been done equally as well with Observing Report, but again, Observing Report was trying to go a different way. Neither one of these movies are good or really great. But clearly, 
Paul Blart is the better of the two. That is my take on this copycat throwdown. What do you got, Tim? Both movies come out to be about the same for me. Paul, I've seen Paul Blart before. Uh, it's been a few years, but I went back and rewatched it the other night. And I watched Observe and Report for the first time, uh, like a day or two before before you watched it. And I think what Observe and Report got right, because Observe and Report definitely does get things right, Paul Blart got wrong. But what Paul Blart got right, Observe and Report got wrong. I'll start with Paul Blart. For one thing, I hate the fucking name. I hate the name. Paul Blart. Just because he's a fat guy, an overweight guy, why does his name have to be Blart? I don't want to say that I found it offensive, but I I don't know. What what would be another word for... It was egregious to your senses? Or to your sensibilities. You know, it's like when it, the the opening of of uh, of the movie Tropic Thunder, Jack Black's character. He's he's like this. He's an actor who plays in the, the like these series of movies called The Fatties, and it's just all these fat. Like he plays the same fat person sitting around a table. Think of the Clumps from Eddie Murphy's Nutty, the Nutty Professor movies, and all they do is eat a whole bunch of chicken all at once and then fart, and that's all pretty much what these characters do is eat and fart, and. Again, you know, those series of films are called The Fatties. And not to that extent, but that's kind of what I got with Paul Blart. He's hypoglycemic. He has to eat all the time. He has to... He has a really stupid name that mirrors his his weight. And there's only so much that his personality can... Uh, how much his personality can make up for the fact that he's falling into these, I guess, overweight tropes, you know? And I think that's what kind of makes the funny bits, like the parts of the movie that that are really funny, funny, because it's so unexpected. This is a Happy Madison movie. Happy Madison is uh, Adam Sandler's production company. And this is definitely one of the better Happy Madison movies that have come out you know, in the the latter uh, four, five, six years or so. And that's actually saying a lot because there's a lot of really, really, really bad movies that they've put out. What did I like about the movie? Kevin Smith, when he goes over the top, he is frickin' annoying. But there are these little nuances that are really, really funny. For example, at the beginning of the movie, you might remember it from the trailer where he gets pie and then he asks for peanut butter. And as he's laying a, a coating of peanut butter on the pie, he's saying he makes he there's a line where he says like peanut butter is great because it covers the cracks of the heart or something like that or it fills the holes of the soul or something like that. And it's really funny because it's how the delivery of the line and and what his his hand movements as he's doing it is it's like he that that is something he believes in completely. It's like he's spouting off the portions of the Bible for for me, from memory. But no, he's talking about how he loves a lot of peanut butter because it makes him feel better about life. Little things like that. Even the, what I think was absolutely hilarious that I didn't. I don't think I really caught it the first time 
around when I first watched the movie when it came out, uh, or when it first came out. But I love how when he is on his Segway, riding his Segway, or do you drive a Segway or ride a Segway, whatever, but he's such a badass when he does it. He's not trying to be a badass, but he is so good. He has perfected the art of Segway riding that it is so funny watching him like staring at somebody and he just backs up and you think he's going to run into a wall, but he doesn't. He is awesome when he's on that Segway, but when he is running, when he is on his feet, he is a bumbling fool. And I guess in some way that contrast of, well, he's a bumbling idiot when he's on his feet, but when he's on that Segway, he is kind of cool. You know, it makes the kind of cool stuff even cooler, which works. But then again, that again, that doesn't really make up for all the over-the-top stupidity that the movie does. Uh, it has a lot of. Observe and Report, uh, it's, I think it's definitely more of a comedy than it is a dramedy. There is some dramatic elements to it, uh, but it's very, very, very minimal. I mean, up until you find out that he is bipolar, though if you can't, if you don't catch that beforehand, but once you find out that he cannot have, he cannot have his dream job of becoming a police officer because he is bipolar. And there's that switch of, well, he can't do that. Well, you know what? He's going to go back and be the most badass mall cop in the, or mall security guard in the world. And that's kind of what he does. And it's, it was kind of fun watching like maybe the first 30 minutes of movie. He's the mall cop, you know, and you think he's just, you know, the, the talking shit, dumbass mall cop who doesn't really get anything done. He's in love with this one girl who works in the beauty department. And, you know, there's really not much to the character. You know, it's just Seth Rogen being, you know, playing the bum type of character. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he beats the shit out of these punks and you're totally not expecting it. And it's actually like a little drawn out, like old boy style... <laughs> ass kicking I mean not to the extent of old boy of course but it was just so unexpected that it was probably better than how it actually was because it's so out of left field and that's where I think the movie shines the movie does cross a line definitely crosses a line into so uncomfortable that it is not entertaining uh, you have him falling in love with uh, with what's her name's character, the really dumb blonde ditz who is a complete and utter bitch. And there's a love scene when she is passed out. So you can ask yourself, is he raping her? I don't know. It's just weird stuff like that. Weird and uncomfortable things like that, because there's really not a whole, I mean, there's, it's weird because there's redeeming qualities about Seth Rogen's character, but every redeeming character or quality that his character has completely goes down the toilet when you see him do shit like that where you see his character being so dumb it's just ridiculous it's stupid and it completely you know any genuine aspect any goodness that could possibly you know come from the movie or be encompassed within the movie goes again goes down the toilet and it also goes along with I guess maybe the last half of the movie where up until then you think, oh wow, is this a Seth Rogen movie where he does not get high in it? Until 45, 50 minutes into the movie where you see him smoking, drinking, and doing a lot of other rambunctious... Because in every Seth Rogen movie, there is a montage of him getting fucked up, getting stoned, drinking, doing all this stuff. 
And you hope that wouldn't be the case with Observe and Report, but it's definitely the case with Observe and Report. Both of these movies, I rate them equally, equally, equally. Well, all right, then there you have it. No clear winner for (laughs) Tim in the copycat throwdown, uh, as he found them both equal in his eyes. Not that that necessarily means a good thing. And then I thought that Paul Blart was better. So, I guess that wraps that up. Next week, we are having episode 88, which is the birth year of Tim. Therefore, we are going to be having a discussion next week with uh, where we're going to be talking about the Best Picture nominees from 1989, because... They, that means all of the movies had to have come from 1988, the year that Tim was born. So we'll be doing that just like we did it back for episode 77, Aww, which was the year how I was cute. born. Yay. So that's what we're doing there. And then here, I guess it's time that we go to the last segment, which is, of course, the movie. <laughs> You can dance. All right. So this week's movies, we had UHF because we were doing the 25th anniversary. So we thought we'd, uh, you know, check that out there. Guardians of the Galaxy and the ultimate in 70s filmmaking, The Iger Sanction. Where do you want to start, sir? Uh, Let's go with UHF. All right. UHF, 1989, American comedy film starring Weird Al Yankovic. And uh, this is... It was his first breakthrough into the world of cinema that had the uh, very distinguished, I guess if you want to say, or infamous release of July 21st, 1989. Uh, Orion really felt like they had had a good... Orion Pictures, the people backing it uh, for distribution really thought that they had a big hit on their hands along the lines of Naked Gun and Airplane and what have you. And so they put all their money into this movie. And then, of course, UHF gets mixed reviews and also had the great misfortune of releasing along the side alongside of indiana jones and the last crusade ghostbusters 2 honey i shrunk the kids lethal weapon 2 batman license to kill and when when harry met sally and weekend at bernie's this was all within a month of when uhf was released either before or after so unfortunately uhf did not stand a chance there was just no way in hell consequently orion actually went under because of this movie. So this movie definitely has uh, some stigma attached to it. It is a massive cult classic today, though, and follows the exploits of Weird Al Yankovic's character, George Newman, who is a down-on-his-luck daydreamer who finds himself the manager of a UHF translator station in Oklahoma after his uncle wins it in a poker game. And, therefore he, and there he is able to... Uh, live out his dreams of creating all the fun shows that he wants and of course you are treated to tons of parodies of everything from indiana jones (laughs) to rambo and uh, close encounters and just tons and tons of stuff i gotta say 
I actually was one of the people who went and saw this in the theater. I actually, that summer, I wanted to see Batman, so I ended up seeing Batman. Uh, went, my dad took me out to see Batman for my birthday. And then a couple weeks later, we went and saw UHF, also in the theater. And then I remember also seeing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade that summer. So I was all over the place with movies there then. I really, really like this movie. Now, granted, I was 12, so the humor really hit home. But I just watched this movie again because I own this movie, and I still enjoyed it. Now, granted, there's a lot of cheesiness in this movie, and I mean serious, heavy-duty doses of cheese in this movie. And it is undeniable that the acting, even at its best, was not all that great. But... The humor of the movie isn't necessarily in the acting, it's in the situations, and it's in the parodies. And those fall down in spades. They're all over the place. I absolutely still love this movie, and I would say that objectively, I've got to give this movie three stars, because I do like this movie, but there's a lot that you can definitely say has not aged well. The parodies are still spot on, but the acting is really atrocious. On a personal level, this is still a five-star movie, but only because of my love for it and that I saw it in the theater and I'm a big Weird Al fan. So, objectively, three stars. Personally, five stars. And we'll, we'll put the objective rating for the SLS cast for the show. So, three stars on that. What do you think, Tim? This is a th- definitely a three-star movie for me. It's it's one of those I think you would enjoy it more if you were watching it with somebody that enjoys you know these kind of movies. And I, it's not quite on the same level of Naked Gun, where I would say Naked Gun and Airplane are you know like a laugh a minute, you know like five laughs a minute. There are so many gags at work. Uh, and Naked Gun and Airplane hold up now as fantastic comedies. You can watch it now and laugh at the same jokes as you would have back in the 80s. I mean, I, I guarantee that. But with UHF, I think a lot of it is more uh, maybe nostalgic reasons. You would, you would like really, really, really enjoy this movie. Either as a kid when you first enjoyed it or when you first watched it. Or if you're just a big fan of Weird Al Yankovic, especially early Weird Al Yankovic, you would definitely get a kick out of him, uh, or get a kick out of this movie more so than people that just like goofy comedies or you know just comedies and comedy like commies in general, comedies in general. <laughs> but it's still entertaining. There are some really, 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 really funny gags. And the, like really smart gags that'll make you laugh out loud if you are watching it alone, like like me whenever I watched it, and it's it's fun. It's also fun seeing Kevin McCarthy in the movie playing playing the bad guy. I mean, you watch a lot of movies, and they're like that type of bad guy, that type of character is in in so many movies from the '80s and early '90s. So many movies, whether if it was uh, like a cop movie where you had the asshole sergeant or the asshole police chief. Well, this is the asshole network man, and he plays it so well. You know, he plays it straight the entire time, and it it works. It's it's good. It's good. I 
I enjoyed it. So three stars for me. Sweet. All right. Where do you want to turn from here, sir? Should we save the best for last? <laughs> I don't know, because it could go either way. I'm not I'm not 100% sure which one is best for last. <laughs> well, let's go next. Well, well, we'll save the best for last. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, then. Okay, that's what I thought you meant by saving the best for last. So, okay, good. We were on the same page then. All right, Guardians of the Galaxy, 2014 American superhero film. Now, this is based on the uh, 2008 offering of the superhero team of the same name. Uh, there have been different sets in terms of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, from what I understand, this is from the 2008 comic book series. And this, of course, was directed by James Gunn. And stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, Dave Bautista, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper, and a host of other wonderful people, including Benicio Del Toro, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, and Michael Rooker, Karen Gillian. I'm just naming everybody who's in it because, I mean, they're all worth noting, truly. Lee Pace. Oh, yes, Lee Pace. Uh, uh, Jimon uh, Hunsu, right? Am I saying that right? I, I hope I'm saying it right. I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Now, Tim and I both saw this in 3D and IMAX, or IMAX 3D, whichever way you want to say it. And I got to tell you, this was straight up five-star movie. I absolutely loved this movie. It is not a perfect movie, but despite its failings, which Tim and I actually agree pretty much are limited to... About the last 20 minutes, you, you kind of feel like they really threw the ending together. And there was some definite issues that I felt could have been better explored uh, with uh, Nebula, who was played by Karen Gillian. Um, her and uh, Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, actually want the same thing. And so I really thought that was kind of weird as to how they wrote that so that they would continue on separate paths. But I don't know, maybe they'll resolve that. But there were things like that in the in the ending of the film that caused it to feel rushed. Despite that, for me, still a five-star movie. The special effects were just absolutely outstanding. Um, the only issue I had was due to the just such tech-heavy nature of the CGI... I really think that we need we need some Marcel Marceaux today uh, to help teach miming. You could clearly see a couple of times. There's actually one particular scene where everybody is finally in the intergalactic prison, and Groot and Rocket are given their little towels or their bedrolls or whatever, and the same guy has to give them to the thing, and you can see him literally trying just a little too hard to pantomime giving nothing a towel down low for rocket and then up high for Groot. and you it's just little things like that but again you're these are just minor little flaws things that you'll catch but won't affect your experience the movie is excellently paced outstandingly written full of great references that are easily identifiable as old older pop culture references but due to the creative circumstance and the great writing very forgivable and tons of fun i don't really i mean 
just aside from some nitpicky stuff and the fact that the ending felt a little bit rushed, it still didn't take away from the experience. I had such a wonderful time. I truly, truly love this movie. Cannot wait for the sequel. Five stars for me. There's no sense in going around in circles. It's just five stars. Go ahead, sir. I think you like this one. I, I don't know what gave I it away. I might have liked it a little bit. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know why I, I get that feeling, but I, I think you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, this movie, it had so much expectation to live up to. So much. I mean, we're talking about Chris Pratt coming out and saying that Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be just as good as Star Wars. I mean, once you're comparing something to Star Wars, the bar is raised. And I gotta say, there are not many movies that I pay the extra cashola, that I spend the extra cashola on to go and see it in 3D, let alone paying the extra money to go and see it in IMAX 3D. And this movie exceeded my expectations it was so well paced it was amazing to look at i mean they spared no expense on the visuals as in uh what what matt uh usually likes to mention whenever we see special effects heavy movies he likes to mention how he notices how uh some of the special effects become obviously less groovy as the movie goes on, as the as the time wears on for the film. But no, this movie, every special effect looks great. Seeing it in freaking IMAX, what I love is seeing a little bitty spaceship or a little bitty figure in the middle of a freaking solar system, or, or, or no, maybe not a solar system, but in the middle of space where you see planets and stars and debris and stuff where you can actually look around the screen and look at stuff. And in 3D, everything is just it's fantastic. I mean, I don't recommend a lot of movies uh, to be seen in 3D and also in IMAX. But you got to check it out. I mean, it's it's awesome. However, I did say that the movie is well-paced. I did say that the movie is awesome. I, I do not give this movie five stars. I cannot give this movie five stars because there were moments in the movie... That caused for me to disconnect from the movie and to dwell upon it for a couple minutes. You know, and this happened a couple times throughout the movie. One of them is the humor. Some of the humor is really funny, but much of the humor is like, oh, well, that's John C. Riley humor, or that's Chris Pratt humor. And it, I think it kind of tainted the flow, you know, the, the, the atmosphere of the movie that the film had created, you know, the, the mood, you know, it's okay if there's humor and stuff, but once you start getting into, like, dick jokes, you know, like, calling somebody a dick for the sake of saying the word dick and it sounding funny, you know, again, this is Chris Pratt and John C. Riley. it kind of takes you out of it a little bit, saying that, oh, ho, that's John C. Riley for you, or, oh, hey, that's Chris Pratt for you. At least that's how I felt and, and kind of what I took took from it. Now, other than that, other than the humor that I kind of had an issue with, the last act of the movie felt rushed. You had this really good pacing. You had this really good character development. The movie was moving not at a steep incline, but at a really good at a good pace, going in a you know heading heading towards a, a decent resolution. The action happens. The first action scene happens. 
Then the second action scene happens, you know, sometime later. And then the next one happens. And then all of a sudden there's another one. And then there's another one. And then there's another one. To where once you get to the ending of the movie, it just becomes another Marvel movie. Where it's a big overblown action scene that takes place in, I don't know, Caprica. It looks like freaking Caprica from Battlestar Galactica. And that was kind of another thing. It looks like Caprica and Star Trek's San Francisco. You know, like we, we've seen that like overly clean looking city population before and you know i guess they're trying to go off the comic books or anything but it's like come on guys you know be try to be a little original you know you know create something different and new looking other than a city made predominantly of off-white colors and the grass looks like grass that they dug up from a golf a nearby golf course a nicely green fresh green looking golf course i should say and a lot of fountains there's a lot of fountains and concrete and you know, these futuristic Caprica-esque cities. But I digress. But yeah, I mean, just one overblown action scene at the end. And we didn't need that. You know, we, we, we didn't need that. There were so many obvious moments that were passed up. People die. You don't care about the people who die. A lot of people die all at once. But you don't really care about it because and it's like okay well then there's the next thing and that's what I I cannot look past because there are other avenues they could have taken we, we, we have seen great sci-fi movies great action movies where it's well paced enough to where you can have a big action scene but there is still heart to it there is still character and I'm not saying that, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from the, the dramatic moment that does come at the end of the movie, where it uh, it pertains to uh, Chris Pratt's Star-Lord and his background. I think that was well done, because even that dramatic moment isn't, like, completely in your face. It happens naturally. It flows smoothly, especially uh, the things that pertain to, uh, to the character of Groot and rocket raccoon you know it just that stuff is fantastic but when you come to i, I mean the villain lee pace's villain which i didn't realize that was freaking lee pace until i think the last time you get a full glimpse of the character and i thought holy shit that's lee pace same thing with karen gillian i had i completely i knew she was they were both in the movie but i had no idea that that was them until the freaking end of the movie i mean the makeup is superb and the characters are fantastic for villains these are great characters and they were used wonderfully but then at the end they're just kind of especially lee pace's character just kind of tossed away you know it's another marvel uh, villain that is expendable or maybe he's not expendable because it is the marvel universe and anything can happen anybody can come back to life and show up in a future marvel flick uh, i give this movie 4.5 i thoroughly enjoy it and i definitely recommend it that's definitely a fair assessment sir even with everything that you still found wrong with it it was still 4.5 so hey that's awesome we can we can dig that we can dig that all right so last but not least is our favorite movie the Iger sanction which is a 1975 american action thriller directed by and starring clint eastwood and is based on a novel of the same name clint eastwood the man Iger the mountain Sanction, a violation of the law to enforce the law. 
one of our agents has been killed in Zurich by two men. We want you to sanction them. Killing. It's what you do best. The target is male. He is an accomplished mountain climber. What's his name? We don't know. We know which mountain he will climb. The Eiger. From the suspenseful international bestseller, The Eiger Sanction. Every character brought vividly alive. You have to come near me again, I'm gonna kill you. Jonathan Hemlock, collector of art and women. Mountain climber. An expert at sanctions. Big Ben Bowman. How much did he really know? Why the hell didn't he polish you off? The raven-haired beauty, Jemima Brown. For your information, I was not assigned to seduce you. Dragon, head of search and sanction for C2. I'm going to give you a bonus. Miles Mello. I didn't actually kill him, you know. Well, I probably won't actually kill you. And George, the trainer. She's a girl. And unpredictable. <laughs> is one of the other climbers the Frenchman, the German or the Austrian doesn't bother you a bit that you've blown my cover does it and now Montaigne is either hurt or he's dead I knew that'd be death it's planned that way his lifeline in the hands of the assassin he hunted. Now, this is a film about a classical art professor who's a retired hitman and mountain climber uh, who decides to come out of retirement to avenge a friend by mountain climbing and just generally being a badass. Now, we're talking about a movie who whose lead character, when propositioned by a hot female student for a better grade, says, go home, study your ass off. As he pats her on the ass. He pats the chick on the ass as he says it. And he says, well, not all of it. <laughs> this is like in the first six minutes of the movie. <laughs> I could not, uh, yeah. And then they have, let's see, I'm referring to my text messages here as I was texting Tim while I was watching the movie here. Uh, let's see, my next text was... Seriously, they're doing the albino boss thing. Yes, there was an albino boss. That's right. For those of you who want to remember, uh, like Kevin McCarthy, uh, Inner Space, where they make fun of his supposedly being an albino. Yeah, I guess that's what they were making fun of. And then, of course, there's uh, Clint Eastwood has to pretend like he's... Uh, uh, I guess he's just pretending like he's a homosexual. I'm not sure why he chose to pretend like he was a homosexual, but he chooses to pretend to be a homosexual to deliver some floss to somebody. 
uh, to kind of get in, to get in. And I mean, it's just completely offensive to anyone who is gay. I mean, this is like, um, yeah, it's just terrible. Terrible. He also meets a black chick no no named Jemima so his first response upon hearing her name Jemima Brown is, oh, yes Jemima Brown and his first response is well I'm Uncle Ben <laughs> I mean it's like are you kidding me I cannot believe this was this was real dialogue in an action movie <laughs> Um, he then proceeds to seduce her. This was my text to uh, t- to him. Hold the fucking phone. Again, text to Tim. Hold the fucking phone. Did he just seduce Jemima by saying he thought he'd given up rape? Because that's what he did. Yes, that's what he did. Um, I just... Yeah... Uh, he he meets a he meets this Indian chick or Native American chick. Uh, they never really quite make it clear, but she is super duper ultra fucking hot. Her name's Charlie. That's about all I remember of that. And he asks, he says, you know, you don't have to listen to the Clint Eastwood's partner and trainer. He's trying to get back in shape to climb this mountain, and so his trainer leaves him with this Charlie chick. He's like, you don't have to listen to him. You know, a chance to strike back at the white man and all that shit. I, I could not believe this movie. It was it's priceless. It is ult- utterly priceless. This is the ultimate in 70s dialogue. And I would recommend this movie just based on the dialogue alone. Um, it is also really breathtaking in its cinematography, breathtaking in its scope. Uh, interestingly... Due to the nature of the film being revolving around mountain climbing, and one very vocal, uh, uh, one let's see, one one very vocal cinematographer, there there was uh, there was actually a death and several injuries due to the filmmaking. Clint Eastwood wanted to do his own stunts, um, but uh, one of the cinematographers actually was laying the death of one of the other uh, people who died in the filming at Clint Eastwood's doorstep because he he said he was doing things that shouldn't have been done. Now, Clint Eastwood had actually toyed with the idea of not, of just completely stopping production, but he didn't want the person's death to be in vain, so they went on ahead with it. It should also be noted that the guy who spoke out against him, he and Clint Eastwood, uh, that was a terrible falling out for both of them, and they never worked with each other ever again. But I gotta tell you, the cinematography paid off. This is a beautiful looking movie. Um, lots of interesting stuff to be seen, and it's a real interesting study on how, again, movies were made back in the 70s. However, the trade-off with it being so massive in scope cinematography via the cinematography is that it often suffers from pacing issues. This movie is a little bit over two hours long and it often feels like it. That being said, it's still a great action flick and it is really beautiful and the dialogue is just priceless. 
Whether it's good or bad, I'm going to leave that for you to decide. But it is priceless dialogue nonetheless. So for me, I'm going to come in at this one at also three stars. I did like this movie, and I would, and anybody who's either a film buff, a buff of good cinematography, or just a 70s aficionado will have to see this movie. Bring us home, Tim. This movie, The Iger Sanction, is Clint Eastwood's, I don't know, like his third or fourth directed feature this is his i think the the third movie that he's directed himself in and i gotta say this <laughs> this movie is homophobic sexist racist and clint eastwood plays one of the most bigotist or one of the biggest bigots in all of cinema history for sure Without even trying too hard, he's he plays the character of a bigot so well, and I don't know if that goes on to show who uh, or show you Clint Eastwood's true colors or not. Quite possibly, he's not the greatest man who ever lived, nor nor the greatest filmmaker. But this movie, with all of its sexism and homophobia and racism, it's still a very interesting movie. Now, and, and I'm not even talking about the, the superb uh, cinematography that comes in, uh, in in bits and pieces throughout the first half of the movie, but it comes in full swing by the, uh, by the second half of the, fel- of the flick. But this movie cannot be made now. It cannot be made. It doesn't hold back anything. It pulls out all the punches. I don't think the movie was made to be mean. I think it was just in the style of the humor at the time. You know? Uh, yes, there was racism back then. However, when it came to entertainment, things were a little bit different. I'm not saying that's right, nor am I saying that's wrong. There's definitely... a Racism was very prevalent in films of the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But I think this movie definitely wasn't done uh, to be mean, to be racist. When you watch it now... Hell yes. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. To give you an example, uh, Matt mentioned this uh, little scene before. There was anything I could do to get a better grade. I mean, I'd I'd be willing to do anything. Anything at all, really. Are you busy this evening? No. Do you live alone? Uh, Well, my roommate's gone for the week. Jemima. And I'm Uncle Ben. I'm serious. That's really my name. Jemima Brown. My mother was hooked on being ethnic. We're all turned on by a pancake. As long as we both agree that it's too much for a black chick to have the name of uh, Jemima. Sometimes people do things they thought they'd never do again. Like rape, for instance. Yeah. I thought I'd given up rape. I think I've changed my mind. Here's to the selfish killer and the patriotic whore. Do you have anything else to say to me? I usually keep a 20 in the bowl there by the kitchen door. You might pick it up on your way out. Leave Dr. Hemlock alone, faggot. Forgive him, Jonathan, but I'm afraid faggot has not yet learned to recognize you straight. Off you go. His name is, uh, Faggot. That's cute. Stuff like that. 
Racist, yes. But tongue-in-cheek, yes. And that's what makes this movie interesting. Everybody's in on the joke, for sure. Is it good? Is it bad? Should I? Should it be offensive? That is for you to enjoy. I'm just going to <laughs> report opinions and basic facts. Now with the cinematography and the camera work, it's absolutely superb. They do this. They used to do this great, uh, great shot that you would see a lot in the 70s and in the 80s. Uh, especially in the 60s, whenever like a big stunt was gonna was about to happen. I mean, you saw this in a lot of the early James Bond flicks as well, where it starts off in this big panoramic shot, and for this movie, it's a guy dangling from a mountainside, and it's vast, it's beautiful, it's like you're watching it in in, in cinemascope, you know, where the screen just wraps around you in IMAX. Even it's like with the great uh, shots I was telling you about uh, in. Uh, that I was telling you about in that were in Gardens of the Galaxy, where you see a little object in the middle of this vast space. Well, you see this little person on the screen, but around them is this is the sky, and they're up thousands of thousands of feet from 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 the ground. Basically, above them, above this person, it's the heavens, it's the sky. Below them, it's just death. Because one wrong slip, and that actor will fall to their uh, to their snowy, frosty grave. But then the camera moves in, slowly moves in, because you're at this time you're just amazed by this feat of stunting. But as the camera slowly, slowly trucks in and and moves around to where you start seeing the face, more the face of the of the person, you realize, holy shit, that's not a stunt man. That is Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is dangling by a line on the side of a mountain. And that makes this movie stunning. Stunning. Matt gives this movie three stars. I give this movie 4.25. This is one of those movies, come home on a Friday night, Pop open a couple beers, sit down, have a bowl of chili ready in one hand, beer in the other hand, and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. 4.25. There you go. And as an addendum, I cannot agree more with Tim's exuberant stylations there on the dialogue. Because it is indeed extremely sexist and extremely homophobic. So, yeah. But remember... 70s dialogue and it's priceless good or bad that's for you to decide <laughs> it's 70s dialogue all right so that's going to close it out for the movies this week next week we are going to be reco- we're going to be uh covering boyhood the purge anarchy and get on up so i think that's it right is it time for the spiel spiel on all right well as always the music you've been listening to has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. And... Hey, Tim, do you have a Twitter? Would you like to advertise your own personal Twitter? No. 
Okay, well, you can also follow me, if you want, at nittwit12345 as well. And, of course, you can even go to Facebook and search for the SLS cast there. And, as always, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Natalie Wood, I get to say this. I saw my parents as gods whose every wish must be obeyed or I would suffer the penalty of anguish and guilt. And coming to you live from the Roycey Castle, the Roycey BDSM Castle in Spain, this is Tim. Don't you mean BDSM? What did, what did I say? I don't, did you say BCDM or something? I, I thought I think I said BDSM. All right, well, then that's good enough for me. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.